looking at a, at a text, and it, it literally, what he will deal with is 8, 9, and 10, and it, there's an underlying theme there that you will see, and it has to do with food offered to idols. Um, literally, it means touched, touching food offered to idols. And, and we, we kind of look around, we're in August of 2004, and food offered to idols, and why do we have three chapters dealing with, with food offered to idols, if I was a missionary in Papua New Guinea uh, or perhaps some of the tribes of Africa uh, or Asia, Southeast Asia, places like that, then perhaps food offered to idols would be a relative text. But we have to ask ourselves a question. When I, when I got into this in my own personal studies, my question was this. Why do I have three, three, three chapters dealing with idols? I mean, we know that idols are nothing. They're, they're absolutely nothing at all. And so that's what we're looking at. This word that you see there, things offered to idol, is one word in the Greek. All right? And it has to do with meat offered to an idol as a sacrifice. That's the original Greek word. All right? And... Uh, I believe that if we are willing to hear from what God has to say and knowing that God has preserved his word and he took the time to write three chapters dealing with this issue, then there is something that is relevant for every child of God through the ages. And I believe that you will find that this is a very practical text for us. Extremely practical. In light of what is going on in this church, I can't think of a more appropriate text, to be honest with you. Um, it's kind of cool because I watch God. He'll take, this is a very practical problem in the church in Corinth. And I'll, I'll show you, I'll give you a little idea of what the culture was dealing with. But this is a very practical, and you would even say a cultural problem, a societal problem, a time event problem. Okay, uh, let's be realistic. I went down to Safeway the other day. I even walked around back to make sure there wasn't some altar back there that they were taking ha- a third of the cow and burning it to uh, some god and then they were bringing out the good prime rib and the back strap and offering it to us so I knew that I could go ahead and barbecue with a clear conscience. Seems a little odd today. Now, I haven't checked Albertsons nor King Supers, but know this today. You will be safe at Safeway. All right, and as, as, a, as a pastor, as a brother in Christ, I will go check Albertsons and King Supers in this week. So by next Sunday, I, I will tell you that it will be safe to shop and get meat um, that's not offered to idols. All right, so we've got that cleared up. But as God deals with a particular problem, he also will give us a general principle in light of that problem, it's the way God does things. I spoke last week on love, and people would say, well, do I need to love more? Do I need to love better? How do I do these things? And you'll see this all come out clearly. Uh, this is sort of why I preach in the soap opera manner, uh, to be continued next week. All right? Gray areas. What I call gray areas are the doubtful things. Okay? Things that the Bible doesn't say this is right or wrong. Okay, Uh, that's the gray areas. The Bible doesn't, I mean, the Bible is explicit. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's not a gray area. God hates divorce. Hmm, is that a gray area? 
No, I mean, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet. You know, I, I just go down the line. There's not a, there's no gray areas in a lot of things, but there are certain areas, and I'll, I'll give you some illustrations as we get into this. All right, let me give you a little background about Corinth. Corinth was a a community, a city that was founded by freed Roman citizen or slaves. Right? When the slave was set free under Roman rule, they were given property in Corinth and they could found this city. But it was a blending of two cultures. The Greek culture is less than 50 miles away from Athens uh, and the Roman cultures. Both cultures are um, polytheistic. Right? What I mean by polytheistic is many gods. They worship many gods. All right? uh, but they were also what is called Demetist. Demetists. They believed in demons. They believed that you had all of these gods and they hung out up someplace, high above them and kind of kept an eye on everything. But the demons were in the air. They were all around the atmosphere that you... That, 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 that they believed that the air was just literally full of demons. Okay? Um, I've seen some Christians fall into that. It's kind of silly, but anyway... All right, but you had a God for everything. Please understand that. For everything. We, we, t- we talk about some deities and we'll see that there's a sun God and a moon God and da 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 Basically, um, everything in, the, in a Corinthian's life had a deity behind it. Um, if you were in love, there was a God of love. If you were at war, there was a God of war. Um, there was a God of justice. Did you know that? The Greeks had a God of justice. And it was a female. Did you know that? And they believed that the female God of justice was blind only unto the evidence that was weighed in the scales given unto her. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? Right? And they would call her Lady Justice. You wonder where we got that? Okay. And sometimes I'd have to agree. Justice is blind, regardless of the evidence. Anyway, um, but, but there was gods for everything. Um, there was a god of humor. Okay. There was a god of government. Um, any given feast or event. If you were an Olympian and you threw the javelin... Did you know that there was a God for the javelin? There was a God for the shot put, the discus, for wrestling. Okay? So, do you, do you understand that your whole life as a Corinthian was evolved and interwoven, intermeshed, and non-separated from deities everywhere? So, take the average Christian. They come out of this paganism. And this paganism is at every point in his and her life. Your life is completely immersed in it. uh, And you literally can't do anything in society and not have some kind of contact with this God. If you went to get a bottle of wine, you had to go to the temple of Bacchus to get it. Okay? And Bacchus was the wine god. He's real great. But uh, it, it, sporting events, it just didn't, didn't matter. If you wanted to go down and watch a, a sporting event, you say you had tickets, and guess where you had to go? 
you had to go by the altar of that given event just to go see. And I've seen that. People paint their bodies in orange and blue. And I'm thinking, you'd do better with an altar. Okay, because you look foolish. All right? So there was a danger to Christians constantly being exposed to this that they were saved from. Okay? You see it today. You see it today, don't you? If if a person has a drinking problem, they come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. What do you think? Let's get a kegger and celebrate the birth of this new child? Nah, probably not, huh? But you can see it. If they come out of pornography, if they come out of, of, of the things that our society promotes... And then you expose them back into it. What happens to them? And they, they, will, they will be offended with you because they'll say, you know what, I was saved out of that. Uh, why, why would I want to go back to that? So here comes the question, the big question, is that in, in constantly being exposed to this uh, for a brand new Christian, I'm talking about an infant in Christ. I'm not talking chronologically. I'm talking about a child of faith that is still an infant in the faith. Okay, all this stuff to them, would be very distasteful. Okay? You see it today. There's nothing worse than an ex-smoker around smokers, is there? Nothing worse than an ex-drunk around drunks. Drinkers. I'll use that word. Right? Why? Because it's distasteful. It's distasteful. Alright? What happens if you're in the church in Corinth, it's in the 60s, the 50s AD, 50s and 60s AD, and... Somebody decides to have a barbecue. We're going to have a Baptist festival, and I'm providing the meat. This young Christian shows up, and they're carrying a sack lunch. Okay? Now, a more mature Christian would understand that, you know what? An idol is nothing. An idol is absolutely nothing has nothing to do with it. Not only that, Peter says, give thanks and pig out. Not necessarily in the phrase. Right, doesn't he? Just give thanks for it and what? Eat. How do you avoid all this? How do you avoid the conflict here? Let me give you an idea of what was going on in the Greek culture. Okay? You would take an animal and whatever the animal was and you'd cut it into three pieces. One piece would be taken to the altar to that god. I mean, let's say you were betting heavy on the uh, discus thrower, so you'd go to the discus god and offer an, uh, a sacrifice to him, and you'd give a third of it, uh, would go to the offering to, you know, let my discus uh, athlete win. Um, the second part of it would go to the priest. And the priest would take it, and that's how he would have literally eat. If he had a very prominent deity and was making good um, deist, you know, encouragement and intercession and was seemed to be, your God seems to be rocking and rolling this week, so we're going to give you. And he had an abundance of offerings coming in. What he would normally do is take his leftover meat, being that he didn't have a refrigerator or anything like that, and he would give it to a butcher that he knew, and that butcher would sell that meat. All right, and part of the proceeds on consignment, he would go back to the priest. The third part 
the person who was making the offering to the God, he got to take that home. All right? So you, Christian, you got a chunk of meat. You want to have a barbecue. Why? I'm into practicing koinonia, fellowship, partnership. Let us gather together and feast. So you bring in your great big old rack of ribs. The saints all gather around. You got some young saints in the group. And the first thing they're going to think of is what? Where'd you get that meat? Okay. Not only this, think about it from the perspective of today. Am I willing to buy from a butcher knowing that I am a steward of the money that God has given me? And now I am promoting a false teacher by buying meat and he's getting the money that God has given me? How many of us are doing that? How many of us are concerned about, oh, but if I support that thing, what happens? You know, I'm supporting a false teacher. And it's one thing, you know, the government God put in place and, you know, they, they support stuff that I am definitely in disagreement with and definitely against the, the word of God and all the rest of it. But what about other people? We do that today. See the turmoil? I mean, the mature Christian? What's the big deal? Idols, nothing. Not only that, that butcher over there who's got the priests of Bacchus, he gives the best deals and the best cuts. You know, I get, I'm saving money. I'm actually being a good steward of God's money. Okay? Young Christian comes over, sees you with this big old rack of whatever it is you decided to eat. They bring their sack lunch. They look at that food and they say, that food is defiling to me. Guess what? You're done. You don't have to worry about ministering to that saint ever again. All finished. And the issue, now listen, the issue is not whether that saint is right or wrong or you're right or wrong. Okay? Because, you know, maybe I should have gone to the Jewish butcher. But then wouldn't I alienate the Gentiles? I mean, I wanted pork. The other white meat and the Jewish butcher hasn't got any. Here's another problem that existed. Those evil spirits. Okay, and you know, I, I was going through this. I've got a book, uh, um, The Tragedy of Corinth, and I, and I thought about Elizabeth and your line of work. They believe that evil, the air is full of evil spirits, evil demons. Okay? And, and they wanted to get in people and take control of people. Okay? How would they do that? Hang out with your hamburger. That's how they do it. If you like brats, they'd hang out in the brat factory and hang on to that thing. You ate that thing. Guess what you just did? You consumed a demon. So to keep me from consuming demons, what would I do? I'd go offer my package of brats to the priest that deity would be so tickled to death that I'm making him or her an offering that they would scrape all the demons off. So now I have deity-protected hot dogs. 
It's true. That's what they believe. The demons would get in it. Have you ever seen people who were, have convulsions? Think about the demons that, were, uh, that Jesus dealt with in his ministry. It would seem that they came from inside of that person. They wanted in that person. The Greeks and the Romans believed, how do they get in? You opened your mouth and boom, in they went. So where would be a good place for them to hang? Okay? Makes you wonder why they call hard liquor spirits. Just a question. All right? So you get this deity, you offer him up a third, Priest gets a third, you get the third, and the deity promises not to let you turn into a demoniac. What a deal. Alright? You know what's sad? I see this today. I see that whole mentality, if I do this, 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 and this, this won't happen. Why are we binding demons? Why are we exercising demons? Why are we casting out demons and things like that? Is it magic? Now, now listen, I agree agree emphatically of demon possession. I believe in demons. Jesus believed in demons. They didn't even like Jesus. Okay? But how do I get rid of a demon? Share the gospel. Okay? Uh, I think the tragedy is, is believers. You know, that believers and dwelt with a demon. Then he's not a believer. She's not a believer. Okay? So, what happens if you've got the heart of an evangelist? You're in Corinth, and one of the people that you know, maybe you work with, says, Hey, come on over. I'm having a party. I'd like for you to come over. So you go strolling in there, and you see this great big bunch of barbecued meat. What do you do? You leave? Let me tell you something. If you add to it the fact that all the social events are tied to some worship of these gods, most festivals, most holiday, most social activities, and in many places, many times, in many cases, they had to take place in the temple of whatever deity was dealing with. What do you do as a child of God freed from paganism? You, Christian, you receive an invitation to go and eat meat that has been offered to an idol. What do you do? I watched this one time. A Presbyterian was having a um, Christmas party, I think it was. And, uh, and the lady I know was inviting a lot of Baptists. And she would always put this qualifier into her, her invitation. Or I would like for you to come. I'm having a Christmas party. There will be wine there. Okay? And I knew some people who come up to me and said, are you going to such and such party? And I said, well, yeah. She says, do you know they're going to have wine there? It's a Presbyterian thing. You know? (laughs) Have you seen their communion? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, No, but what what did we just do? What do you do? Well, I can't go there. Why? The God of Bacchus is going to be there. All right. What am I going to do? What if you have the opportunity to share in fellowship and talk about the presence of Christ to non-believers? 
Do you stay away? Are you saying that monastic is the way to go? Listen, I see this today in the home schooling education. There's a movement that is behind it. And I know some of you have homeschooled, and I praise God for you, but be careful of why you're doing it. If you believe that those evil people of the world are teaching what? And I, don't get me wrong. There's a bunch of yayas out there that, yep, they ain't got a clue. But if I'm a little more interactive with my children to begin with, I don't have to worry about it. And I've already got that dealt with before they walk in. And they can, your child can walk in there confidently and proudly and say, you guys, my dad says you're a bunch of yayas. Okay, but I see that. We, we think, well, I just, let me tell you something. If you believe that you can keep your kids completely sheltered from the world, you're a fool. Not only that, you're preparing them to become bait. They will be fed on. They will be ravaged because they don't know the schemes of the evil one. Okay? How about this? You're a Corinthian and you've got a wedding to go to. Guess who gets that glory? What if you have a family reunion, a festival? Guess where they would congregate? In the temples. What if you have a sister or a brother who is lost and they are preparing to marry? Do you go or do you not go? See what I'm trying to get at? These are what I call the gray areas. Areas of doubt. The Corinthians, if you look at it, concerning the things, verse 1 of chapter 8, the things offered to idol. The Corinthians were struggling with this. Could they do the things the world did, qualifier that are not stated wrong in Scripture? Okay, hear what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying. All right. There are things that Scripture is very adamant about. All right. Can I, can I work on Sunday? Can I shop on Sunday? What about the Sabbath? What do I do with that thing? Okay. We do this. Can I read the funny papers on Sunday? No. It's a sin. It's of the world. You need to read them on Monday. But you know what? They're not as funny on Monday. They're not. I've done it. I don't know why. It's funny on Sunday. It ain't funny on Monday. But I go down the line. I'm just using some of these as illustrations I've been exposed to. What about concerts? Am I allowed to go to a concert? I don't know. You may end up with a contact buzz. But anyway, that's a whole different story. Uh, Maybe not if you go like, see, what's that guy? Barry Mandelow. Uh, He probably won't end up in one. (laughs) I don't know. Just, am I allowed to do any of this thing? How about movies? Am I allowed to go see movies? I, I, you know, I just, I'm going to let you guys deal with it. Last week I gave you six things to evaluate your thing. You look at that, you get the tape or whatever, and you can hear it. Okay? Um, in our culture, in our society, there are certain things, and there has been through, throughout time of man, that the Bible doesn't say there's anything right or wrong with. Okay? So Paul 
it's dealing with an underlying theme here in 8, 9, and 10. It's basically our freedom. As a child of God, I am free. How far does my freedom go? Okay, I can summarize it in one statement. It only goes as far as love goes. We're done. Let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Everybody>, what? <laughs> My God, the rapture. We're out of here. We've got to be. Um, what had happened in the church in Corinth, which has happened in this church, is that some of the quote-unquote mature decide it's okay and there's no worries. Idol isn't anything and God has not commanded me that I can't do without eating. You know, I remember what Jesus said. It's red letter Bible. I read it. It said, it's not what goes into the man that defiles him, but what comes out of the man. Okay. But yet there are some, this is difficult to this is difficult for them to, cons- to understand, isn't it? I know in my life, um, in, in my lifestyle and where I came out of, uh, when God got my undivided attention, um, he removed me from all the people that I had associated with uh, for a year and a half, two years, three years, something like that, some. Some I've never even been associated back with. Why? Because of the memories it would bring up and to the temptation that it would expose me to. Your freedom as a child of God is conditioned by your love. Okay? Before you exercise your freedom... In any area of these gray areas, you have to think and view how will it affect someone else. Okay? If you really look at this, it's kind of cool because in chapter 8, he explains the principle. In chapter 9 through chapter 10, verse 13, he illustrates the principle. Okay? In chapter 10, 14 through 11, 1, He applies the principle. Okay? All that I just gave you is the first part of now concerning things offered to idols. Verse 1. All right? Now we move to the second part of the verse. All right? It says, we know that we all have knowledge. Okay? Um, It's literally in the Greek. If you take it to the original writing, the linguistics of it, it is a sarcastic statement, meaning that we know it all. Okay, And it's, it's knowledge he's dealing with. He's de- dealing with knowledge. He's, he's already dealt with it. Remember in chapter 2 and chapter 3? Knowledge, all right? But um, we all know, he says. And he's claiming that they're, uh, they had matured sufficiently as Christians and they have proper knowledge. But what are you doing with it? Look at verse 7. Because okay? this is the key to 8, 9, and 10 uh, to, to understand it. Look what he says there in verse 7. However, not all men have this knowledge. Okay? That's one of the problems that we sometimes fail to recognize. Who am I dealing with? Everyone has not matured to a level. Okay? That certain things are not a sin. I'm going to give you some illustrations here in a little bit, and and, and you'll see what I'm I'm getting at. All right? We know enough to know that food offered to idol isn't that big a deal. I mean, it seems kind of funny today, doesn't it, in 2004 here in Castle Rock, Colorado? Okay? Now, I want you to understand something here about knowledge. 
okay? Because we as a congregation have knowledge, all right? I want you to understand something very vital. Knowledge is extremely important, okay? Hosea says, the people go in droves to destruction because of the lack of knowledge, all right? I want you to show you something else there. The word we know, that we all have knowledge. Paul is in agreement that knowledge is viable and it's important, it's valuable, it's something to be, uh, to, to be sought. And it is important because he includes himself in it. In Romans 15, 14, he makes that statement. But I want to take you over to 2 Corinthians 6, 6. Because I want you to see there are times that, that I think people think that Paul is an anti-knowledge. I know that some people think that I am, but I want to show you something. Here's what he says in 6, 6 of 2 Corinthians. In purity and in knowledge and in patience and in kindness and in the Holy Spirit and in genuine love. All right, so what did he say there? Knowledge is good. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But just as you abound in everything. Okay, how do I abound in everything? If I am going to abound in everything, it will be in faith, in utterance, that's speaking forth, and what? Knowledge. Knowledge. Um, another really cool one that, that Paul deals with, because this is a church that he never really, uh, we don't know whether he ever was there but their problem was dealing with Gnostics. Do you know what Gnostics are? Really smart people. They think they are. Okay? That it's through higher intelligence that you become this more spiritual person. Okay? And that's what he's dealing with. And here's what he says in verse 9, chapter 1 of Colossians. For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. Ain't that cool? What were you praying? And to ask that you may be filled with the what? With knowledge of what? You want true knowledge? What would it be? His will. How come he hides it? I'll show you. Okay. How many here have sought God's will and it just seems like it's an abstract thing you can't get your hands on? There's a reason. Absolute reason and there's a biblical reason. I'll show it to you. All right. All right, a will, I want you to have knowledge. Christian, he says, I want you to know God's will. I don't want you to sort of, well, behind door number one, door number two, or door number three. Which one do you suppose is the will of God? How many of us do that? How many of us do fleeces? Anybody know what a fleece is? You lay this thing out. We take Gideon and he lay this. I'm going to lay out a, a, a lamb sheep if it gets dew on the bottom of it, dew on the top of it, and all the rest of it. And everybody says, you've got to do that. That's wrong. Gideon was a man of little faith. Gideon had God say, I'm choosing you. You don't need no more faith. <laughs> all right? You hear God say, I want you to do this. Well, give me a sign. Okay, you may get a street sign. Up back of the head saying, this is my chastening. All right, but... Uh, look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. He says this. <clears throat> Put on the new self who is being renewed to what? 
a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. All right, so there is a renewing that happens. We use that statement, I've been born again. Do you understand what that means? All the knowledge I have to do is I need to throw it in the trash can and try to grab a hold of the new stuff and then I'll see where the old knowledge, the stuff that I went through molded me into the person I am, the personality that I am, the character I am and yet this new knowledge now takes over and I am walking in the will of God, period. Okay, now watch how this works. He told Timothy you needed to teach sound doctrine, right? Okay, so that's 2 Timothy, that has not, that's not a pastoral epistle. Okay, that is a discipleship. All right, you need to teach, he says. How are you going to do that? Sound doctrine. Where are you going to get that? I put the Bible under my pillow and I sleep with it on my head. Right? Or no, I meditate on the Word. We know what meditating is, right? Yeah, we heard Wayne's definition. All right? Burp it up. Chew it again. Yeah, sign me up. Um, I always thought meditating, read a verse, take a nap. Ain't that what it is? Meditating. Uh, years and years and years ago, I took Taekwondo. And, uh, and I actually was... Uh, all I needed to do was test for my black belt and I never did. Um, I was distracted. Um, and one of the things that we had to do before and after every training session was to meditate. Clear your thoughts of all that's going on, all that is going to take place of, of the different moves you had to make, the different things, the events you were preparing for, and whatever. Clear your mind for that and meditate. So I always take a nap before Taekwondo practice and I take a nap after Taekwondo practice. Why? I'm meditating. Ain't that what it is? If I'm going to clear my mind, then what's going to happen to my mind? Takes a nap. <laughs> Other than that, I'm thinking, you know, I need to change my tires, you know, I need to go do this, da 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 da. All right? So do you understand that? I, I remember, nah, that's a different story. All right? In Ephesians 4, Paul tells the church in Ephesus to do what? Renew your mind. Romans 12, have your mind transformed. How many times do you hear the Apostle Paul say, especially to the Thessalonians, I would not have you ignorant. Let me give you a definition of knowledge. A theologian wrote, and I had to write this down, it's kind of cool. Here's knowledge, true knowledge. Okay, now I'm not talking about I have a PhD in something. I'm talking about true knowledge. Knowledge, this is a quote, knowledge is the process of passing from the unconscious state of ignorance to the conscious state of ignorance. Unquote. That's true knowledge. And it is. Uh, the more I study the Bible, the more I realize I don't know anything. Okay, um, so a Christian's priority is to know truth. That should be the priority of every child of God, to know truth. Okay, there's no premium on ignorance, none whatsoever. All right, because if I know truth, then I have knowledge of His will. I know His will in a general perspective. But I also know His will in a specific perspective. Okay? So, I I want you to understand something. Uh, Paul, I, you should understand that we don't downplay knowledge. Okay? I will even go as far as this. Knowledge is essential. All right? How can I keep from being 
exposed to a false teacher? How do I know whether the pastor's telling me the truth or not? How do I know whether this message is right or not? How do I know whether this situation is right or not? How do I know whether to take this job is right or not? Uh, to marry this person, I spent six months on singleness. How do I know these things? How would be the first priority to know these things? Knowledge. To know who he is. However, there is always a however. Knowledge is not sufficient. You got that? Knowledge is not sufficient. I want to show you this. We know that all have knowledge. Right? Knowledge makes arrogant. Okay? Right? Have you ever run into someone with a lot of knowledge? Is that a biblical truth? Okay, the word there is the word <sighs> blowhard. Well, that's literally what it should be translated. It's just somebody. That's what it means. Why? I am all puffed up and all comes out as air. A windbag. That's all it is. It's so full of knowledge when you squeeze it, what do you get? Poof. That's all it is. I like that. You know what's cool about that word puffed up in the Greek or uh, arrogant in the Greek? It's only used seven times in the New Testament. Six in the Corinthian letters. Hmm. Do we see a picture? I think so. I see a picture. Why? You guys are a bunch of... (laughs) You guys love you, but you're a bunch of hot air. Okay? In the winter, you're fun. In the summer, it's awful. All right? So when I say knowledge is essential, but it's not sufficient. Okay? Those people who have that, that have a lot of knowledge, are they fun to be around? Huh? Are they? You just sort of... Mm-hmm. Alright? But, have you look what he says next. But love edifies. It builds up. It strengthens. You ever met somebody who has a lot of love and no knowledge? <laughs> Those would be the Greek tragedy. Okay? <laughs> they have a lot of, a lot of love and... Elvis has left the building. (laughs) Not only that, he left the lights on. Okay? Knowledge is essential. Okay? But without love, it's absolutely useless. All right? This church, this body of people, had a problem about their knowledge. Okay? And that's, that's... it became a pride issue. You'll see it throughout this text. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind because this will be hammered to you uh, through the whole book of 1 Corinthians. You've got to understand something. 1 Corinthians, the priority there is personal holiness. Why? So 2 Corinthians, you can minister effectively. If I, and what is the single thing that, keeps my, uh, keep that's, that hinders my personal holiness? Pride. Pride. Okay? Um, why would knowledge 
Okay, now this is going to be biblical knowledge I'm taking, te- teaching us, we're looking at. Why? That's what Paul's talking to. He's not talking to lost people. He's talking to saved people. Biblical knowledge, an, un- an understanding of God and His gospel. All right? Why would it make you proud? How can it make you proud? It's simple. Very, very simple. Okay, and I have a verse to verify it. Several, but I'm only going to use one. Okay, let me tell you something about knowledge. Where does knowledge begin? Come on, you have to think with me. Where do you? If you're going to attain knowledge, where does it begin? You attaining knowledge. Right? I mean, you can't just sleep with some tapes playing in your head and wake up smart. I know I've tried it. <laughs> I just spent a lot of money on batteries keeping the tape player running. All right, so if I'm going to attain knowledge, where does it begin? Okay, where does it end? You. Okay. I think about this because I see it a lot and quote, unquote, and I'm not here to pick on certain people. So take it, understand what I'm trying, trying to share with you in quote, unquote, Christian counseling. Okay. I am a firm, ardent believer in Christian counseling. And you better have some knowledge to step into it. Here's the curse that exists in Christian counseling today. It begins with you and it ends with you. I can give you this information, therefore I fix your problem. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Where did the knowledge come from truthfully? God. And if you're going to help somebody, how is that help going to happen? Why would I get caught up in it? Oh, it's simple. It's the nature of man. Isaiah 47 verse 10 says this. Your wisdom and your knowledge. Do you know what Isaiah is doing? Getting ready to tell Israel, the top ten tribes, northern ten tribes, that God's getting ready to judge them. And he says, your wisdom and your knowledge, they have deluded you. Okay, the word in the Hebrew means they perverted you. What was given that was good, you did what? You perverted. We're the true Israel. We have a temple in the high country. We have a priest. We have Jehovah with us. Why? We have wisdom. We have knowledge. It goes on and says in the rest of that verse, For you have said in your heart, I am. And there is no one besides me. Whoa. Knowledge gives a God complex. I would never do that. There's no way on my best day I would ever do that. How many of you think you're the Holy Spirit? How many of you really believe that you can walk into a situation and believe that you have enough knowledge to correct that situation? You all of a sudden have enough knowledge, enough wisdom, I can change the heart of man. How many of us do it? How many of us think, well, if my husband would do this and this and this and this and this, he would be, really? Well, if my wife would do this, 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 really? Do you believe that you can change your spouse's heart? 
I'll make it even more practical. How do you do with your kids? My kids are demon-possessed. It's a piece of cake. I'm going to take them out and see that new exorcist movie. They should be fixed. Right? You walk it, you live it, you turn around, you think, Satan incarnate. Right? You know, why do, why do I pray? Why do I pray for who my children will marry? I pray now. I started praying years and years and years and years ago. And ain't none of them listening. But I'm still praying. Why? Who will fix that? Me? Do I believe I have great counsel? Do I believe I have great knowledge? Some in this room believe we do. Here's a situation. I see this pattern in your life. I see this pattern in this person's life. I see this situation, your character. Let me see. Now, if I check your background, you came out of this group and this kind of people and these kind of lives. Therefore, all you need to do is A, B, C, and D. Life will be good. Listen, that's Christian counseling. I get books. I've got reams and reams of books on it. Here's the things. Here's problems. Here's how you diagnose the problems and all the rest of it. Listen, the problem's simple. I'm the seed of Adam. Okay, we got that felt with. Now what? Do you, do you, I want you to grab this. Why? Because we take knowledge. Now listen, I, I want to show you something here. Don't just stay right there. Because we take knowledge and we can move ourselves into a God complex. We all of a sudden start doing the work of the Holy Spirit. That is a God complex. The Holy Spirit is not less than God. But you all of a sudden now believe you would do the work of God? No, I'm the vessel that God does His work through. Right? When I counsel somebody, before I meet with them, now there's sometimes you get what I call the surprise counseling. Okay, you, you, you didn't make an appointment. Right? But when I counsel and I got somebody, I'm meeting with somebody, you know that there's always a time that I am in fervent prayer you know who I'm praying for? Not the people who's coming, but for me. All right? And then when they leave, you know what I do after they leave? Lock the door and run away. No. Uh, I pray that God the Father in the person of the Holy Spirit will show that soul the depth the height, the breadth of the love of Christ and that they, that Christ may dwell in their hearts comfortably at ease at home and then that God would do abundantly beyond what they could ever dream or imagine. Does that sound simple? Why? Let me show you why. Understand, we have to have knowledge. Okay, I'm not against knowledge. I don't want you to think there's something wrong with getting knowledge and an education. That's not what I'm against. Okay, but I need to take you over to chapter 13. Okay, the knowledge is there. There are people who will seek me out thinking that I have Bible knowledge. Part of my responsibility before God, before you, is to have knowledge. I need to seek the Word of God. What is truth? Okay, chapter 1, or chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak with the tongues, okay, languages of men and the languages of angels. Okay? 
but I do not have love, what happens? I have become a noisy gong. Okay. (laughs) Cool. Question. Are you ready for this? What does a gong have to say? Right? I mean, it's, I mean, maybe I'm silly in the way I interpret Scripture, but I'm sitting there going, I have, I'm a noisy gong. So what can a gong tell me? Nothing. And yet he says, you have the ability to communicate on an all-earthly level, even in an angelic level, and you don't have love. You sound like a gong, and you have the same effect as a gong or a clanging cymbal. Take your pick. Okay, it's like Jesus in the, in the book of Revelations. Remember, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Okay, and then we say the beginning and the end. And we believe that the Alpha and Omega, okay, first letter, last letter, Greek alphabet, and the beginning and the end, that's the same thing. He's interpreting That's not the way it's written in the Greek. Okay, the beginning and the end is just what he said. Beginning and the end. What's the Alpha and Omega? It's all knowledge. Why? Consumed in the Greek alphabet or consumed in the English alphabet is what? All knowledge. If I can't spell it out, what is it? Clanging gong. <laughs> I don't know. So he is what? All knowledge. Right? All right, that's clear. He says, if I have that ability and I do not have love, you have the same to say that a gong has to say. Check out verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy, check this out. Grab this. You really need to embrace this because we are being bombarded with this. If I have the gift of prophecy, I stand forth and proclaim. I am a spokesman on behalf of God. I have the gift to do that. And I know all mysteries. And what else? All knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains. Now grab that for a second. I am a prophet called by God. All mysteries. The 70th week of Daniel is clear to me. All right, I got that bugger, boom, nailed down. Predestination, piece of cake, got it right here in my hip pocket, can lay it out for you. I have enough faith that tomorrow I want to do some skiing in my backyard, so Pikes Peak will move over to my place in Elizabeth. But you don't have love? What do you got? What? You know what it is in the Greek? Zero, zip, nada. You know what he literally says in verse 2? The clanging gong has more than you got. Okay? What is the instant death of love? 
It's the death of love. Pride. Why? Pride begins where? With you? Where does it end? Okay, where does love begin? Where does love end? With others. With others. Love is never self-centered. Only pride is. Knowledge begins where? Here. And it terminates here. Where does love begin? Where does love end? Got it? See the... How, how, is that... You guys... Am I not explaining it? Some of you are looking at me like... Uh, terminate. Terminate. Does that mean execute it? Cease it to exist. What? No. Let's see if I can try this. If you take knowledge, you have all knowledge, you know, understand all mysteries. Okay? All right? And I don't have love, where does my knowledge end and begin? Here, out, and back. Okay? Because, see, I can counsel you and say, they didn't change. They must just be stupid, lost, blind, and depraved. Where did my knowledge go? It went out, and it came back, and you are an ignorant person. But if I have that knowledge and it is sent in the package of love, which has been poured in my heart by the person of the Holy Spirit, I will take it out there, I will pour it on you, and then get what will I do? I will not be puffed up. I will not brag. I will be more concerned about you than me. And I will grab you by the hand and say, if I have not commuted this with you, communicated this with you, and God has not made it real with you, then that means our lives are still together. And I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to hold you. I am going to sacrifice myself on your behalf till we have the unity of the Spirit and the oneness of the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the problem of love. It's a verb. It's also a middle voice. You know what middle voice is? Deponent. That love is dependent on something. I can't manufacture it. What is it? It is the Spirit of the living God through me and the love of the knowledge that the Spirit of God has given me and I'm willing to come alongside and hold you by the hand, pick you up, carry you if I have to, put you over my shoulders, whatever it is I have to do to make sure you get through. So you can have love without knowledge and you have a tragedy. You can have knowledge without love. What do you have? Zero, zip, nada. You're useless. Okay? Knowledge terminates with me. Okay? Love terminates with you. Okay? How many times have you ever heard this? I love you. Especially when your kids want something. Right? Mom, Dad, do you know that I love you? Okay? You know it's not an emotion? Is it involved in emotion? Sure. Absolutely. But if it's the love between a man and a woman, it has nothing to do with agapon. Okay? Love says, I will set aside all that I am, all my desires, all that I want, all that I believe is right 
for you. That's hard. You can't do that. You know why? It ain't natural. It isn't. What did Jesus leave behind for your behalf? What did he leave heaven for your behalf? All of it. He walked away from the presence of sinlessness to walk among sinners. And the greatest of these is love. They will know you are Christians by your knowledge. By what? By your love. Okay, now understand, don't separate them. Don't separate them. You know what I feel as a fear? I have a tragedy here that is happening in Castle Rock Baptist Church. We've separated them. I was talking to Hank Smith. He was here for the, uh, <clears throat> when Wayne was here. And Hank and I and uh, Barris, Karen, uh, Salentine, a few of you, Joanne was here. Uh, how many of you remember Tom Sanko? Okay. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? Tom Sanko is the guy who did mine and my wife's marriage, wedding, whatever, wherever they stand up. You do, she did, he did, we did, we're out of here. Okay. <clears throat> um, at that time in this body of believers, we were a love-based fellowship, but we had no knowledge, and it was a tragedy. Okay. Then we had Al come in, and I picked up, and I'll be honest with you, and I apologize, and I beg your forgiveness. We jumped into the other side of it, and we went all knowledge. We jumped over here, and we're going to look at this. We, I can parse a Greek verb, and I know middle voice, heiress, print, principle. Look at all this. We can do this. But what happened? We left love. See, love without knowledge is horrible. Knowledge without love is arrogance. And if you're arrogance, if you put a whole bunch of people together who are arrogant, what do you have? A lot of hot air. You do. Everybody's going. <gasps> Isn't it? How many times do we have people who want to talk and people who don't want to hear? No, 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 no. Don't go outside of this fellowship. Stay here. I think about Elihu in the book of Job. I must speak now. I cannot hold this no more. I've got to say my piece. Why? He had been listening to these boots for days. And he says, I want my turn. Why? I need to open my mouth and remove all doubt of my stupidity. Listen, we're all guilty of it. I may be the chief sinner. I may be the chief sinner. Why? If I don't have the balance, what do I have? I am as useful to the kingdom of God as a gong. One last text. Cool. The book of Philippians, chapter 1. I want you guys to pray for me. I mean that. I really do. All right? And I'm a person who believes in praying Scripture. Did you know that? Why? Scripture is the will of God. It's revealed. Okay? 
Here's what I want you to pray for me. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. Here's what it says. This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more and real knowledge and all discernment. You know what Paul just did there? He just wove together, tied them together, love and knowledge can't separate it. Ephesians, he says, we share the love in, we share the truth in love. What is truth? Knowledge. Mysteries. And how do we do it? In love. Not in Greek prepositions. Okay? Have you, now I want to close with this thought because uh, you got you to keep this thing in, inside. Has anybody ever tried to study the Bible and it just seems like a, yeah, Huh? You ever done that? It just... Alright? I mean, like, I just started the Bible and I feel like I ate a bucket of sand with a lime chaser. Anybody done that? You know why? Do you? You know why? You ever study the scripture and just... You know, you guys are wondering how I know all those sounds and facial effects. You haven't seen me study. Okay. If knowledge and love are tied together in the Word of God, when it is just dry and awful and there's no understanding, what do you suppose is missing? Love. I've had people um, give me cards, uh, little notes and things. Um, I had three that I kept. <laughs> no. <laughs> The others were, were not love. <laughs> and I cherish those. Uh, many in a, I received some before I left for Israel, and they're very dear to me, and I carry them in my Bible. There's, I, and I've received a number of, of people, encouragements from people. And it, what it is is an expression of their hoping I get blowed up in Israel. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> could you go be a car bomb? No. No. Uh, their, their love for me, okay, and and there's times uh, that I'm not very articulate at saying, you know, we walk walk around, we go, oh, I love you, all right, and you know, I tell my wife I love her, and, but ask my wife, how does she know that I love her? Well, he keeps telling me, is that true? Will you know that? Somebody just keeps telling you that they love you, but they treat you like dirt. Will you say, at some point? I think that person's a liar. <laughs> huh? At some point, right? When you go to the Word of God, what are you seeking? Knowledge? Or love? Which is it? When... I find myself studying the Word of God, realizing that it is just that, 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 that. You know what I'm doing? My job. But I haven't been called to a job. I've been called to a relationship.
Why do young couples date? So they can attain knowledge of one another that could possibly lead to love for one another. Why would I approach the Word of God only seeking knowledge? When it says, God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. Why do I love the body of Christ? I gave you that two weeks ago. Chapter 1 of Ephesians 22 and 23. Why? The church is the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ. How would that be manifested? Can you really think of a better way to describe the person of Jesus Christ than knowledge and love? In the beginning was the word, logos, logic. And the logic was God. Right? What was hurting the church in Corinth? Same thing that's hurt the church for years and years and years. They have knowledge. Where's the love? You know why love's so tough for us? Where does it end? I like to invest in things that I get some kind of thing back, huh? You can't find that biblically. Love is unrestrained, unbridled. It is poured out, respecting and uh, requesting absolutely nothing in return. And you will only love more as you know more. The more I know, the more I love. The more I love, the more I know. He will not reveal himself to you unless you love him. He ain't going to do it. And the more I love him, the more he reveals to me. And then the more he reveals to me, the more I have to spill the love and the knowledge. Is that cool? I mean, some of you guys are looking at me like, well, yeah, but I knew that. And if you did, praise God. I found it and just thought, wow, this is exciting. The rest of you are sitting there going, come on, dude. Where's the love? I'm hungry. (laughs) Right? When you go to your studies, ask yourself this. Am I going for knowledge or am I going because I love him? Man, I love him. He freaks me out. And you know what he's done in my life that just is the greatest? He's literally shown me what it is to love. And I'm not talking about, (laughs) I love you. I'm talking about, I will carry you if I have to. I'll sacrifice my time, my talents, my attitudes, my actions, my desires. Why? Because my love for my Lord has been blessed in a way that He's given me knowledge. And in that knowledge, He's given me love. And in that love, 
It is so big that I can't understand it. All I can do is just give it away. Just spill it as I go. And I have been short. I know. Please, I know. So my prayer for you is that I would pray that you would pray this for me. That my love would abound still more and more in the real knowledge and all discernment. Let's pray. Father, wow, how you love us. I, I can't grab that, Jesus. I just, I just can't grab that. Father, may I fall more and more in love with you. Father, may I fall more and more in love with these precious people. Father, as my brother prayed for this beautiful church in Philippi, I pray for this church. Father, in light of the knowledge you've given us, Father, may we love. May we just pour it out. Father, may we love as we were loved. Our love. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your passion. Thank you for your love.